Well, hello, hello. Here I am. I'm Len Tillum. I'm a lawyer. I've been a lawyer on the radio for 25 years. Now I'm a lawyer without the radio, but I'm still doing a show where podcasting, we're giving it to you on the internet, streaming audio. You know how to do it. I mean, you're listening to the show. You got to tell a friend about it. We're going to get more listeners. And I promise it's only been a week. Soon I'll have phone lines. We'll be in calls. We're going to do a show. You get your Len Tillum fix. 40 minutes, 30 minutes, we do a show each day. No commercials, no news, nothing else. Just straight lawyer, zip, zips. You want it now, you want it fast. It's the American way. Okay, let's start this show. Michael in Locksburg, Len Tillum. How come you're calling a lawyer, Michael? Hi, Len, love your show. Thank you. A question for you. I took photographs at the America's Cup, and of course my photos are, are better than everyone else's. Mm-hmm. And uh, my question is, if I try to sell those, do I need to get any sort of permission from the America Cup group or, of course, Oracle, who owns the boats? No. The America's Cup is an event that's more or less open to the public. It's not held in a stadium where they can pat everybody down for cameras and tape recorders the way they used to do it at rock and roll concerts. So if you take a photograph, it's your creative work, and you can be paid for it. Got yeah, that? Public at Christie Field. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So any photographs you take are, are your photographs. You got that, and you can take it, and you can okay. sell them. By the way, all of you, you should know this. You're in the art field. You got a pencil, Michael? Let me plug a good thing. There's uh-huh. lawyers who work in copyright law, who I guess wanted to be rock and roll musicians, and they never made the Grateful Dead or anything, but they volunteer and they do work. It's called California Lawyers for the Arts. You can find them on the internet. And they have a legal referral service where you get a one-half-hour consultation for 35 bucks. So if yeah, you haven't... Thank, thank you. I actually already sent them a message, but you are faster. I'm faster. I'm live radio. You can do whatever you want with them, okay? Great. Enjoy the much. photographs. Thank you for calling. John in Santa Cruz. Len Tillum, John, how come you're calling a lawyer? The uh, CHP pulled me over and gave me a ticket, so that's what I'm calling. Okay. Okay, so here's the story. So me and uh, two of my, my buddies were riding our motorcycles in, uh, up in the mountains on Highway 9. And uh, came around a corner, leading down kind of a little straightaway. And all of us are really close together, probably with because the other two guys are going to pass me. And we're probably within like 10 feet of each other, for Christ's sake. And then there's a CHP officer sitting there. And we passed him. He got us on the radar, or so he says. Pulled us over a couple corners later. I say we're all getting tickets for uh, speeding. So, wait, what was the uh, the speed zone? What was the miles per hour you, you were allowed to do there? Uh, 45 miles an hour. And what did he catch you going? He said I was going 63. He said another guy was going 68. Another in the other motorcycles, he, didn't, he said he didn't know, but he's giving him a ticket because he was riding like the same speed as we were. Okay, so I got a question for you before we get into the, what the cop can do or not. How the hell does one cop in a car stop three motorcycles? What do they do? He just puts on the lights and all of you pull over, right? Well, this is, yeah, exactly. Well, we blew it. The guy actually. No, no, you, you, you mean, did you blow it because you, you, you didn't try and get away from him? What? This ain't the movies, you know? Tell, how'd you blow it? I blew it because the cop, the cop, the CHP got behind all of us. He pulled the first guy over, caught in this big pullout. And they're already over, and me and the, the other rider, we, we stopped up a little bit ahead, you know, like 100, 200 feet ahead. And we actually walked back, 
And then, then he said, well, all you guys saw your license and registration and all that. But realistically, me and the first guy, we could have just kept on going. You know? So if he pulled over the first one, yeah. he stopped. If you and your friend kept going, you would not have been evading arrest. You would have just kept going, right? Exactly. How, how old are you, John? Yeah, 48, man. You're a dummy and a dope. You know, you waited around for your friend and you got a ticket, you sucker fool, you. But, uh, yeah, he got, all right. So, why? So, he, cop says you're going 63 and a 45. He's got you. Good Samaritan right. schmuck that you are. So, uh, why are you, and don't run from a cop, but if a cop doesn't pull you over, goodbye, I'll see you later. Your friend's got a cell phone. You call him up 10 miles down the road. But anyway, how, why, are you well, call, why are you calling yeah. me? My question, my question is for you is, is if we're so close together, how can, I mean, you know, he's just looking at his radar through his back window, I guess, or what have you. If he, we're so close together, how can he pick out who's doing 63 and 68? Is, is that, can he, no, f- first of all, let, let me explain something. Yeah. You, you don't need a radar gun to estimate speed. Really, most of us, you look at a car and you kind of know what they're going. And cop CHPs are like, they can estimate speed pretty well. They've been doing it, you know, for 20 years. And the officer will come to the ticket if you plead not guilty and testify as to what he saw. So if your friend who was going 68 might get his citation reduced to 63, but the cop's going to say, I clocked the first one at 63. They were riding in a bunk, uh, in a bunch. They were keeping the speed up together. And that ain't, you know, he's got you cold. Your best bet is that uh, this class for the speeding driver, you'll pay the ticket, but you won't get any points on your license. Have you done that lately? Well, I'm a commercial driver, so I can't go to, like, the traffic school. Ugh. Yeah, I get screwed. You, they won't, all right, go on. Is this your yeah, first ticket in a long time? Yeah, I haven't had one in a long time. Yeah. So I haven't you, had this ticket in, like, 20 years. All right. Well, uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. I got one more question. I'm here. Don't take your time. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry, but uh, so he wrote on my ticket under the code section. He wrote radar sixty three, and but then he said, "said I'm going to give you a break. I'm going to ride it for sixty. So you only go fifteen miles an hour. So it gives you a break on the flying, et cetera. Yeah. Where he wrote speed there, he wrote sixty, and then the maximum speed forty five. Yeah. So I guess. But then in the vehicle code section, he wrote that I was over 40, 45. So. Wait, wait, it doesn't matter. As long as you're over the speed limit, sometimes they give you a break. He probably gave you a break because she was such a nice guy and came back. He got into the station. He said, can you imagine? I got three motorcycles for the price of one. He probably got two attaboys from his sergeant or something. Uh, I knew they were like high five because he had a smile on his face the whole yeah. time. Yeah, don't like, you it. feel like a dope? You got a cell phone. You drive on. You stop at a McDonald's ten miles down the road. You call him. You say, "Meet me there." Don't go back. I mean, if he wiped out and he was laying there bleeding on the road, go help the guy. But if he got a speeding ticket and you're going the same speed as him, duh, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I'm done, man. There you go. All right, take it easy. Hey, but nice talking to you, man. Thank you, sir. Really, somebody gets stopped for speeding, don't run back to see what's going on, especially motorcycles. All right, and and then a guy goes to trial with a motorcycle. As soon as you walk in and the judge hears motorcycle, you're guilty. You know, Lisa in San Jose, Len Tillum. How come you're calling a lawyer, Lisa? I was just wondering, um, my father-in-law, he owned his home, and he when he bought the home, he put my husband and then also his other daughter and his wife on the deed as co-owners. Joint tenants? 
Does it say? I'm pretty sure that's how it is. Okay. He had to pay extra money to add their names to the deed. Pay extra money to who? To whoever was making the deed at the time in order to add additional names to it. Ugh, what a ripoff that was. What, a title company charge extra money to put somebody's name on a deed? Yes. How much did they charge extra, do you know? That, I don't know. It was many years ago before I came Ugh, along. Yeah. But I'm wondering what the tax implications are if someone passes away or what happens if they want to sell the house. Well, let's talk about this. Um, I, I do seminars on trusts and estates, and I remember at one seminar, woman raises her hand, and we're talking about trusts, which are basically probate avoidance devices. You know, you own a five hundred thousand dollar house, the probate's thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars. A million dollar house, it's twenty five thousand. Takes three years. Everybody knows your business. It's public records, so people do trusts. Woman raised her hand and said, "I don't need no stinking trust. I don't need a trust." She said. She said, I put my daughter on as joint tenancy. Joint tenancy means a right of survivorship. So if the deed belongs to mother and mother does a deed saying mother gives it to mother and daughter as joint tenants, when one of them dies, the, others will, the other will own it completely. And mom's older than daughter. So mom, you know, figures she'll die first. Go to the daughter, no probate, no trust, which is correct. It's a cheap way to avoid probate, but it's really dumb. Here's why. Um, if daughter... God forbid, hits a school bus full of kids or a husband gets in an accident and there's a drunk driver. Daughter owns half the house. Daughter gets sued. They're going to take mom's house away. Let's say dad's gone and five years later, mom meets the new Prince Charming. He's not the same as dad, but she's company and she loves him. And he says, mom, come sell your house. Move with me to Palm Springs. I got this nice house or whatever. Some story like that. So mom turns around to daughter. She can't sell it because daughter's name is on the deed and daughter owns half. And she says, daughter, here, sign here. Give me back what's mine. If daughter says no, mom can't sell the house and she's just ruined the relationship with the daughter. I I mean, don't give your kids anything, you know, you you may want back because they often don't give back. If daughter files bankruptcy, You know, daughter gets in over her head in her house and other things. Daughter owns half of mom's house. She doesn't live there, so there's no homeowner exclusion. They'll take mom's house away to satisfy daughter's debts. And there's a tax problem. Are you with me so far, Lisa? Yes, I am. Okay. When your husband's mother put his name on the deed, how many did she put all her kids on the deed or just your husband? The two kids. Okay. So what she did was she gave away two-thirds of the house. She gave one-third to herself and one-third to each of her sons. So when mom dies, the basis, how much she had into it, it only gets stepped up for one-third. Whereas when you inherit something, you get a 100% step up in basis if you inherit 100% of it. Do you understand about basis? Do you, you want me to explain that? It's not, that won't yeah, take long. I don't know anything about that. Okay, let, let me start up. Okay. Let's say... A woman buys 100 shares of IBM stock for a dollar a share. Don't worry about the numbers being right. About 100 shares for a dollar a share. Her basis is $100. You know, she's got 100 shares. And let's yeah. say yeah. the shares go up to $1,000. Just So now she's got $100,000 worth of stock, but her basis is $100, what she's got into it. So she sells it for $100,000, as much as she sells it for over her basis, the $100, she pays capital gains tax. I think it's about 26 or 27% state and federal capital gains tax. You follow me on that? Because her basis is what's the cost of it. When, so let's say mom's house, when she got it, had a $50,000 basis, and now it's worth 500000 
if you give it to your kids when you're alive, the kids get the $50,000 basis or two-thirds of it. When you inha- Oh, with the stock. I'm sorry. I should have said this. If mom gives the stock that's worth $100,000 but has a $100 basis, the basis follows the gift. So if she gives it to them when they're alive, they get the same basis as mom. If they sell it for $100,000, they got this big capital, gain tax, capital gains tax. If the kids inherit the stock... They get it from mom because she died, whether it's a will or a trust. Don't ask me why, but you get what's called a step up in basis. The basis becomes the value of the stock or the house, whatever you inherit on the day mom dies, the date of death valuation. So if the kids inherit the stock that's worth 100000 and that's what it's worth when mom dies, their basis becomes 100000 They could sell it and not pay capital gains tax. When your mother gave two-thirds, your mother-in-law gave two-thirds of the house to her husband and his brother, she gave them two-thirds of her low-cost basis. Houses have gone up in price. So when mom dies, only one-third will get stepped up in basis. Got that? Got it. Okay. And um, we've done, if the kids aren't living there, if they never got rent, what we do, this problem happens a lot, we do a deed that transfers it back to mom, and we do a declaration that mom signs because the IRS will audit this after mom's dead. We do a declaration that said, I did it to avoid probate. My kids never lived in the house. And it usually works because you give the house back to mom. She does a trust and the house goes to the kids, your, your husband and his brother when she dies, and they get a complete step up in basis. And by the way, let's what say, did I, did, did I lose you? No, no, I get but if, if I if technically then I own a piece of the house. If you, wait, you don't own nothing. Your husband owns it. Well, my husband does. Let's get <laughs> and what your mother-in-law left you left your husband gave the husband is his separate property. It, it's not. It's I have two daughters. If I give them a house, I ain't giving it to their low-life husbands or boyfriends. I'm giving it okay. to them. So it's it's anyway. Please go on. But do I need to pay like so when she or if one of them passes away? I understand that the basis isn't going to step up to the complete value. Mm -hmm. But what are going to be the taxes on that at the time that that happens? Well, does your husband intend to sell it? Do he and his brother want to sell the house? I would assume, well... Yeah, if if they want to sell it... One of them might still be there. Well, look, oh, one of them lives there. Well, the father and the mother live there, and one of the kids live there. Okay, so there's a number of tax questions. One is property tax. Since it's a transfer from parent to child, the house will not be reassessed. You follow me? The property tax will stay the same. But the brother who lives there, if he wants to buy the house from your husband, his brother, that property tax, half the house will be reassessed because a transfer between brothers, between siblings, does not give a Prop 13 exclusion from property tax reassessment. So it would have been better if mom did an estate that says I give the house to the brother living there and if she's got cash, an equal amount of cash to my other son. That way you keep the Prop 13 taxes down. Okay. You got it? I I mean... Yep, got it. So um, if your brother-in-law buys out your husband, it'll be reassessed for half. Got it? Okay, got it. It's just not a good idea to give your kids the house and not because the kids may screw up. They may. Just for tax reasons and capital gains and property taxes... Better to do a trust. All right? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. By the way, if you want more information on this, go to my website, lentillum.com. David Brown and I, Audrey, um, uh, Rosie McNichol, we do these columns called Elder Advocate, and I have lots of things on joint tenancy with children. You can see it there. It's all there.
Brock in Santa Clara. How come you're calling it lawyer, Brock? Hi, Lynn. Been listening listening to you for like three years. A little nervous to actually call in. Take your time. I'll I'll be gentle, my friend. What's going on? Okay. To make a really long story as short as possible, I have a dad who lives in Roseville, um, and just to like a little background. You know, he was never a great dad. It was a terrible no, but I hardly ever saw him. I never got anything out of him. Anyway, so last night he calls and tells me, or he, he asks, you know, can I borrow this money? I have no way to pay my rent. Um, how old is your dad? 64. And how old is you? Are you? I'm sorry. How old are you? 27. Okay, God. you got to call up your young son to ask for money when you're 64. How embarrassing that is for him. Please go on. I, yeah, I can't even imagine. So anyway, um, you know, I've just been struggling with this. I don't even really want to lend him the money, but, you know, I talked to my sister, and she says, you know, he is your only dad and all this. Wait, wait, wait. You're 27 um, years old. What do you do for a living? I'm in IT. I'm not rich or anything, but how, I should so, help him. I, I mean, you got how much money have you got saved up, 27-year-old? I'd be impressed if it's more than $2,000. Uh, it's 6500 Yeah. Not a lot. No. I used to have a lot more, but, you know, I'm not broke like him because I'm... You got to work. Yeah, and I save my money. I don't live beyond my means. And and he was never there for you as a kid very much, right? Left mom, goodbye. Yeah, what, well, no, no. They were divorced, and it was, you know, kind of one of those dads that shows up on the occasional weekend. Did he send... A couple times a year. How many siblings do you have? Uh, one sister. Did he send your mother money for you and your sister while you were growing up? No. Never happened. So... He's living where? You told me I already forgot. In oh. Roseville? Roseville, yeah. Kind of a down-and-out town, you know, not too glamorous. So how much does he want to borrow? So his, suppose, well, another thing just briefly, he's an alcoholic. He's an AA. He was doing well for years there, but the last few years, you know, he slipped up pretty occasionally. So my sister said I should find out if he's drinking, but... Wait, wait, wait. Well, let, me, let me tell you something right now. If he's drinking, don't give him money because he may or may not pay rent. But whatever you're doing, I'm, I'm an AA. I've been clean and sober over 30 years now. I go to meetings. Haven't in a while. I used to go all the time. But if you give him money and he's not completely sober, you're helping him get drunk again. You know, if he uses it for the rent, he's got another bottle for that cheap vodka that he buys or whatever it is. I totally, I totally understand that, and my sister said, find out if he's drinking. How are you, what are you going to do, test his urine? How are you going to find out? And drunks lie. Yeah, I I get that, but she said, well, judge his answer, you know, if he hesitates at all, et cetera, then he's drinking. Okay, let me ask you a question. Besides whether or not you, whether or not you should lend him money, I'm not so sure I would do it. You know, you don't have that much. Uh, but then again, yeah. your father's 64, and he's practically homeless. He can't pay his rent. But why are you calling a lawyer? That's the question. How can a lawyer help you? So how could I set up, like, a legally binding contract? What would I have to do? He lives in Roseville. I live in Santa Clara. His rent's due on the 1st. Today's the 20th. Yeah, I got a better question for you. I can answer that. You need a promissory note, not an IOU. You can find a promissory note on the web. 
you know, Susie Orman's page has one promissory note. You got to include what happens if the money's not paid back and if it's an installments and he misses one payment, it all accelerates. But listen to me, Brock, here's a better question because you got a big heart and you're a nice guy. There is free form language for a promissory note free on the internet. The real question is, you got a promissory note and if the guy defaults, if he doesn't pay you, are you going to sue him? No. Right? I know. I was. I mean, you have to think about it. You have to sue him to get the money. And then even if you sue him and you get a judgment, you win the case, you know, he needs money to pay rent. He's a practicing alcoholic. He's getting drunk. Even if you have a judgment, he will never pay you back. So my advice yeah. to you is forget about the promissory note because you're not going to sue him. If you have enough money that you can never give back, that's fine. But I, you can also say, how when was the last time you saw this guy? Uh, it's been probably a couple of years. You can say no. I mean, yeah, he, like I, I can, hardly see this guy, and then he just calls up. He's yeah. borrowed money from everybody in the family. Yeah. He paid back a couple of them. Don't do it. Now, I guess he's he's down to literally hit the last person he can Let him get sober. Let him get his life together. It's not your problem. I'm, t- I, yeah. I, I'm a good guy. I got a big heart. I consider myself a generous person. I wouldn't give your father any money. I don't give practicing alcoholics money. You're going to help them get drunk. Yeah. Okay? Okay. Well, Think I really it, appreciate it, Lynn. I love your show. Thank you. And, um, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Usually I'm a nice guy, right? I'm still a nice guy. Len Tillum, News Talk 910. Mike in Hayward. Len Tillum, News Talk 910. Mike, what are you calling a lawyer for? Hi, Len. I had a question regarding the HIPAA Act. Um... The other day, I was at work, and I became ill. Uh, and so they called 911, and the ambulance rushed me to emergency. Wait, wait a minute. You became ill, and they had to call an ambulance? How ill? You must have become pretty ill. Um, I was kind of, like, zoned out. I mean, did you fall on the floor and pass out? No, I didn't pass out, but I was just kind of, I had to, to sit down, and um, it was like my mind wasn't all there. Like you're having a seizure? Possibly. Possibly. Okay. So wait a minute. If, if somebody comes up to you, a fellow worker says, hey, Mike, are you okay? Were you able to say I'm okay or you didn't even respond? Initially, I didn't respond. Okay. Okay. Please go on. Yeah. Yeah. So they called 911, understandably. Yeah. Thank uh, God they did. Yeah. Yeah. Really. So anyway, so I'm at the hospital in, in emergency. And uh, a few hours later, my manager comes to visit, see how I'm doing and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she basically stayed there until the uh, until they released me, which is about maybe mm, three hours. Um, and, and during that time, you know, the, the doctor consulted with me, you know, several times to see what was going on and how I was doing and give me results of tests and, you know, the, the ultimate diagnosis. Um, what was the ultimate diagnosis? That I had suffered a brain seizure. Not epilepsy, but a brain seizure. Correct. What is the difference, if you know, between a brain seizure and epilepsy? <laughs> I don't know the difference. <laughs> okay, please go on. Um, so, anyway, I, uh, so I, I ran this by my sister the other day. I was telling her about the whole thing. And she seemed to think that it was a violation of the HIPAA Act for my uh, manager to have been privy to all the, the conversations between me and my doctor. Wait, i, I got to ask you right now. Mm-hmm. Your manager, this woman, 
comes to the emergency room maybe to talk to the doctors, you know, tell them what she discovered, what happened that got you there, and she stays with you until you're discharged, and you're talking about maybe suing her for violating the HIPAA Act? Is that, is that where this... No, no, not suit, but I... Well, let me explain HIPAA. HIPAA is what's called the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. You know when you go to CVS to pick up a prescription and they make you wait behind a line, you can't just walk up to the counter with the other people there? Mm-hmm. Privacy. It's all this privacy. One of the patient's rights created by HIPAA is this healthcare privacy right. Medical professions are not supposed to disclose your confidential medical information without your consent. But that's not what's going on here. I mean, think of it. You're, you weren't responsive. You didn't know which way was up. Your supervisor was probably there to tell the doctors what she knew about your condition or, you know, to see if you were okay. I, I don't think this is a bad thing. It would be it would be a HIPAA violation if your supervisor called up Monday, you know, and the doctor told her about your medical record. But Right. You know, and by the way, the penalty for violating your HIPAA rights is to pay a fine to the federal government. So even if you sued, you wouldn't get any money in your pocket out of this. Don't. What kind of work do you do? Do you want to I tell? Just to, I just wanted to make sure that it was kosher. It's you know. definitely kosher, and you should thank your boss. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. You got that? I, I mean, here the boss. Some employees deserve a kick in the ass. I'm telling you right now. No wonder he had a brain seizure. He's not thinking too clearly today. Can you imagine the boss goes to see if he's okay, and this guy's looking to sue her? <gasps> Am I right? Come on. I mean, all of you are too lawyer crazy if you ask me. That's it for today. Come back tomorrow for another fix of Lentillum. Notice, this is like a full show. If I was on the radio right now, you'd have got commercials. You'd have got the weather. You would have got phone numbers and jing. You don't need that crap. I, I mean, really, this is really, this is better than NPR because I'm not doing a pledge drive. You know, Terry Gross better watch out. I'm going to take over there. There you go. Michael Krasny, he's history. But all right, maybe not. Anyway, please tell a friend. And, and if you're listening on iTunes, will you rate me? I'm worth five stars. You know what I mean? The more ratings I get, the more publicity we'll get, the more callers we're going to get. I'd love you to go to Facebook, put some comments up there, tell some friends, publicize the show. That's your commercial. That's what you're paying for. Nothing for nothing, sucker. Nothing for nothing. you got to get me some publicity. Drum it up. Tell some people. You like the show. We'll keep doing it. And soon we'll have phone numbers, I promise. Have a good day. We'll have a new show for you tomorrow.